Okay, if you're uh, able to find a Bible as well as pass a bucket, then uh, you could be turning to the Psalms, and in particular to Psalm 132. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, because you'll be able to follow uh, what we look at on the screen behind me. But if you do have one, you might like to have it in front of you. We'll turn to a few other passages as well as we go through. Uh, But I will read Psalm 132 and then pray. Here we go. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jah. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statues I teach them, then their sons shall sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion, he's desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head shall be resplendent. Father God, I want to just take a moment to thank you again for your words. Lord, I thank you that it is alive. I thank you that it gives us life. I thank you, Lord God, you have chosen to communicate with us. You've chosen to reveal yourself to us. You've chosen to, uh, to equip us and bless us by speaking to us, Lord God. We, we love your word. We want to come to it this, this morning uh, humbly. Lord God, you know, perhaps for many of us, and not just the children, there can be that sense of a, of a new term, a new day, some new challenges, a new season is about to, uh, to begin, perhaps a new job or a new class. And Lord, we can be... Uh, very aware of those things, we can be challenged by them. We can, they can be at the forefront or in the background of our minds. Father, would you come and help us? We want to be a people who, whether everything is expected, whether everything is ticking over as usual, or if everything is, uh, is new and different. Lord, we want to be a people who are walking with you, trusting you, loving you, enjoying fellowship with you, as well as uh, as being family with, with other believers and, and people that we know in this room. Lord God, I pray you'd come and equip us as we look at this psalm together today, Lord Jesus. Amen. Pretty special psalm, really, of the ones that we've been looking at, these, uh, this collection called the Songs of Ascents. Um, it is the longest. And as we arrive at Psalm 132, the, the journey is more or less done, if you like. The, the people of God have been singing these songs, traveling from home, heading up to Jerusalem for one of the big festivals. And that journey would have taken some time. 
many days. And uh, I'm sure there were some high points on the journey, there were some happy days, there was some fun as people were all travelling together. Uh, my guess is there were some dark nights, there were some anxious moments, and some times where Jerusalem, their destination, just seemed very, very far off. Always over the next hill, or the next, mount, uh, next hill, uh, beyond their sight. And sometimes they're having to encourage one another, come on. Keep going. Don't stop now. There's something so worthwhile to look forward to. And, and for walking with God, there are these two aspects. There's that, that, that daily sense of getting up and just walking with God. Daily devoting ourselves to him in happy moments, in happy days, in dark nights, in everything in between. Uh, but we're devoting ourselves to walking with him with this, this heavenly hope. That sense of we're going to arrive one day. So for them, they were looking forward to arriving at Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And perhaps there would come that point when they did round the next bend. They did get over the hill and then suddenly they see it. God's chosen place. The destination they've been going to. The party is now going to kick off. It's going to be wonderful, it's going to be glorious, an opportunity to be so close to God, the dwelling place of God. This is where he's chosen to be, it's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Uh, Ultimately then one day uh, a temple would be built and that's where sacrifices would be made. And that was the focus of the people's attention. So they had this, this daily devotion, what are we doing today? What we did yesterday? What was that? We're walking. Great. Uh, Walking with God doesn't always seem dramatic and spectacular. Uh, Sometimes it's just a case of getting up and choosing. Today I'm going to trust him. Today I'm going to walk with him. Today I'm going to pay attention to his word. Today I'm going to believe. But if we lose that sense of we're heading somewhere glorious, that's when it becomes drudgery. And we forget the destination. We forget our heavenly Hope it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If you want to walk with the Lord, we're going to have to pay attention to a verse like that and many others like it. Never be lacking in zeal. It's possible to have zeal. It's possible to have that sense of energy and desire to pursue God and walk with him and glorify him and enjoy doing it. It's possible to drift from it as well. It's possible to burn out. It's possible to go astray. It's possible, I guess, just to think, oh, forget it. I'm just stopping altogether, at least for now. The Lord wants us to be never lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So as we look through this psalm, the, the longest psalm of uh, song of ascent, um, it has, by the way, uh, a structure to admire we could spend time just looking at how this psalm is, is put together, how, it is, um, how it's structured and how it progresses. Its focus is on David, and its focus is on Jerusalem, a sense of, wow, we've arrived, we're here. And for the people, they could be thinking, we're here because of what David did. The very reason we're gathering to this point is because of him, and he... Him bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God on planet Earth, bringing that to this city. 
So we're going to look at uh, David's devotion to God in that context. We'll look at this passage, we'll look at a couple others that refer to the ark being brought back, uh, uh, being brought to, uh, to Jerusalem. We'll look at David's devotion to God in terms of what it was founded on and also its, its fruit, what it led, led to. We can benefit from looking at his example to help us be a people who are never lacking in zeal but keeping our spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Here we go. A little bit rapid fire. Firstly, David was a man committed to putting God first. This is the great source of blessing, and we've seen it in general already in one of the previous Psalms. In Psalm 128, blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Blessed are those who determine to put God first in absolutely everything. Blessed are those who've made it their uh, mission in life to, to fear him. Not in absolute terror, but in absolute awe, in absolute reverence. There's this principle here in these Psalms of whatever's happening, whatever's going on in life, my priority is putting God first. It's a source of tremendous blessing. And as you may remember from looking at Psalm 128 with, with Tom's help, seeing there that actually this great source of blessing has an incredible, has an incredible flow. Blessed is, is, are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. And then by fearing the Lord, by putting him first, there's this great flow of blessing that, that cascades into your, our, our work. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Then into marriage, into relationships. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Into family. Your sons will be like olive shoots round your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Thus is the man blessed who puts God first. This is David's passion. This is David's desire. Making God central. He has been a man on the move. He's been sometimes a man on the run, frightened for his life, being hunted down by uh, by Saul. What does the next day hold? Maybe I'll be in a cave. Maybe I'll be over here. Maybe I'll be over there. A life of uncertainty. And then he becomes king. He conquers Jerusalem and thinks, well, hang on, now I have this opportunity. I no longer have to live in a tent. Isn't it wonderful not to have to live in a tent? For all those who are in devoted, uh, de- de- devoted last week, think, yes, we're, 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 it's, it's great to be there. Thank the Lord that camping for us only lasts a weekend. <laughs> and then we can go home. And it's like, oh, solid floor. And things are just like plugged in. It's so easy to make a cup of tea. That sense of just living temporary and all the effort that goes with camping, it's gone. And something more permanent uh, is there for us to, uh, to enjoy. Thank you, Lord, for duvets and showers and coffee and kettles. Um, and for David, he's had a, a, this life on the move kind of camping out, as it were. Now he arrives in Jerusalem, and he's like, well, I can have a house. I can have a palace. 
And so a palace is built for the king. And he goes, hang on a minute. I want my life and I want the life of this nation not to be centered around that and my comfort, but around God. God's been on, on the move. God's been mobile. God's been in this kind of temporary setup for a while. The Ark of the Covenant has just been pinched, uh, pitched in different in a tent here and there. God on the move, and that's how God determined it to be. But is that actually, Lord, I want to make a house for you. I want to make a home for you. I want this place to be centered on your worship. He's a, a man who wanted to put God first, and. If we're looking at Psalm 128, that blessing that flowed out was to others, I sometimes wonder, well, this is what struck me in worship a couple of weeks ago, and it was probably God speaking to me. I will now share it with you. It's as if the Lord was saying, look, Dan, sometimes you wrestle with life because you're wanting other things and other people to revolve around you, like planets around the sun. And... Uh, no, I'll worship the Lord, I'll put him first, I'll delight myself in him when everything is flowing into me to bless me. When, when home life blesses me, when work blesses me, when, when life blesses me, then I'm ready to bless the Lord. And here in David's life and in these Psalms we see, no, put the Lord first, fear him, honour him, be blessed And then blessing goes from you to other people. That makes the Lord the center and me in orbit around him. I'm not trying to make other people orbit around me and make me the center. And if, if, if only, if only this was working well, if only that job was done, if only everything was ticked off the list, if only, oh, but no, it works the other way. A commitment to put God First, and then being a blessing to others. So David was a man who was committed to putting God first. Secondly, then he he became a man who was captivated by big vision. Already mentioned it, really. But his big vision wasn't finding myself a palace. His big vision, his big mission, what God put on his heart was finding a place. For the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob, a resting place for the ark of the covenant, the ark of his might. Uh, we see this in, in a few places. We can turn to, uh, to 2 Samuel, uh, for example, and see the moment arrive when he's, he's now conquered. He's conquered Jerusalem, he's brought the ark, and in 2 Samuel, uh, Seven. After the king, verse one. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, "Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent." Nathan replied to the king, "Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you." Um, now, was that just him kind of spotting from his own personal experience? There seems to be a bit of a mismatch here. I'm living like this, but. But the, the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. Why does that matter to, to him so much? Some could think, well, he was the king. Maybe he was, uh, it was a political strategy to, to make his kingship robust. And maybe it was personally motivated. Maybe this was to do with pride. You know, sometimes it's easy to look at people captivated by big vision and, and write them off as 
self-centered or a bit egotistical or uh, who does he think he is? Who does she think she is? But David's devotion to God involved being captivated by a big vision. It's not about him. He's living a life that's shaped by God's word. So I wonder that he was familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 12. And reading from verse 4, God speaking to his people, You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to choose the place, uh, Moses speaking actually, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place uh, you must go. Verse 11 as well. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your your men servants, your maid servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So back there in Deuteronomy... um, writing to the people, reminding the people, look, there is this day to come when it will become clear that God has, cho- God has chosen the one place where he will dwell and where you are to gather and to worship him and to celebrate and to bring sacrifices. David realises now that he has rest from his enemies, uh, now that he has been made king, now there is a moment of peace and he's conquered Jerusalem, he realises, wait a minute, this is it. This is the moment. I have a unique opportunity to serve the purposes of God in this place and at this time. And we might look at David's story and think, well, yes, it is pretty unique. Um, This special king, of course he had amazing opportunity to serve God. But for us, well, we're to be a people committed to putting God first and to be a people captivated by big Vision. That means as we are shaped by his words. See, it's not just a case of thinking, I suppose I ought to read the Bible. It's not, this is to shape the way we view all of life and the whole of history. And therefore, we maybe start to see, okay, I'm just one person. I'm just in this place. It's just at this time. But actually, do you know what? Now, captivated by vision of, of wanting to see God's dwelling on the earth, God's presence coming in power on the earth, I realise I've got a, uni- a unique opportunity to serve him, to honour him. Uh, that might you know, in the workplace, in the neighbourhood, amongst the church. I had the opportunity of serving God for a while in the probation service. Um, and spent a few few years uh, working for them. That was, in its way and in its time, a, a unique opportunity. I was working with people. No one else was working with them in the same way. But I've got an opportunity here um, to seek to serve God. But you know what? Now that I don't work for the probation service, if that even still exists, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, other people could fill the gap behind me. Other people could be uh, a probation officer. Um, if you're a parent, you've got a, you literally, literally have a unique opportunity to serve God and bless others. No one else has. You can't replace a mum. 
And you can't replace a dad. It's a, you think, oh, no, the, the kingdom's out there somewhere. It's doing glorious things like David. Well, well, yes, but don't overlook the position that you're in, the opportunity that you have to seek and serve the Lord. David was also man, a man, thirdly, uh, prepared to correct his mistakes. How did he maintain that spiritual zeal? How did he keep his spiritual fervor serving the Lord? It required him to correct his mistakes, to acknowledge his shortcomings, and to go back and think, actually, I need to do it again. I need to do that better. You know, sometimes that can be our moment of, of crushing disappointment. Maybe we have sought to serve the Lord. We've sought to put him first. And we've then realized, actually, even my best intentions went wrong. Oh, what's the point? Just, oh, daily devotion. I suppose if I have to, trying to walk, walk with God. But somehow we've, we've lost that sense of spark, that sense of, of thrill, that sense of excitement, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe. Maybe because we've just tripped ourselves up. Or maybe we've stumbled. We thought, how, how can I get beyond this? Well, David had that in the very act of bringing the ark back. to uh, Bringing it to uh, Jerusalem. I'm going to read uh, from 1 Chronicles 13 and verse 3. David speaking, Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it. During the reign of Saul, the whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebohamoth to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim, actually referred to in this psalm as the fields of Jar, referencing the same place. Uh, David and all the Israelites with him went to Bala of Judah, Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. What a powerful, significant, wonderful moment in the people's history. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart, with Uzzah and Ao guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourine, cymbals and trumpets. It's a happy day. When they came to the threshing floor, of Kedon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Oh, well that didn't go so well. I wonder if you ever have those moments in the car on the way home from a meeting. Post-meeting analysis. What did you think? What did you think today? How did it go? What did you, what did you get from, from the meeting? Now you start with the positive, of course. Well, the, the band were tight. That band, that was great. That kind of sense of vibrancy. And someone prayed out over there. And that tongue, I thought the interpretation just really captured something. There was that sense of wow as someone brought the interpretation to that, uh, to that tongue. But there was that awkward moment, wasn't there? Uzzah died. I mean, it's like the ultimate anticlimax. The biggest celebration. Boom. Whoops. Now, David then is in anguish. His heart has been to honor God. His heart has been to, to get the Ark of the Covenant 
and, and put it in its proper resting place. It's the, the dwelling place that God had chosen. So it's, of course it was, they were right to celebrate with all their might. But we find that in verse 11. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, uh, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Three months for David of going, what? What on earth? What are we going to do? How? What's the way forward now? And uh, maybe in the, when this psalm begins, O oh Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. Maybe some of the reference to hardship is actually that inward, soul-searching, anguished prayer. What now? I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was doing what the Lord wanted. But now in anger, he's... Yeah, it's a bit of a lesson, isn't it? We could read that and think, well, it just got a bit carried away. We can think the right thing to do is just to be, you know, you, you gather to the holy moments and you've just got to be quite solemn. You know, God is a holy God, so not too much excitement, please. Not too much volume, not too much noise. No, they were right to worship. They were right to celebrate. They were right to go crazy. But you don't reach out and touch the ark. Demonstrated maybe for for Uzzah who'd grown up with it, this sense of of slight over familiarity, a casual attitude, and sometimes in those it's okay to laugh, it's okay to shout, it's okay to celebrate, it's it's okay to to share a joke. It's it's but the Lord is a holy God. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. We don't want to be casual in His presence. It's right to celebrate. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what you do. Oh, God knows your heart. As if, well, yeah, be terrified. Therefore, God knows our hearts. I think maybe God, uh, David goes, goes back, he goes back to the word. And he realizes, uh, the way forward in terms of how to carry the ark. So in chapter 15, three months later, we're told there, David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him uh, forever. And so he, go, he goes back, puts it right, digs into God's word and says, help me to see where I've gone wrong because I still want to honour you. And that helps us when we're prepared to do that to keep our spiritual fervour, to keep serving the Lord with zeal rather than just, oh, forget it. Well, yeah, I guess I'm kind of, I'll kind of walk with the Lord, but somehow the spark has gone. The sense of wonder has gone. David was also able to adjust his expectations. It was David's privilege to find the place. He made a vow. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I'll allow no sleep. To my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Uh, perhaps not to be understood uh, literally, 
that he didn't sleep for three months or more until he got the ark uh, back to Jerusalem. But this, this focus, this absolute determination in him. And uh, he did find the place. He brought the ark to uh, the city of David, but it still stayed in a tent for some time. Let's go back to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he, uh, where he realizes, he has this conversation with the prophet uh, Samuel. I've not gone far enough. 2 Kings is not 2 Samuel. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Initially, David, Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Then that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Uh, Nathan then shares, he says, Actually, you're not the one to build me a house, the Lord was to say. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And the instructions go on to David. It wasn't wrong to seek a house for the Lord, but David has been a man of war. David has been a man of bloodshed. David is a man who's been preoccupied with battles, extending the nation's borders and protecting the people of God. And the Lord is saying, you're not the one to do this. You make preparations and your son, Solomon, would come. His son would be king and it would be Solomon who would build the temple. David was able to adjust. Didn't get too preoccupied with with my role and what I really want to do. What I really want to do is build a house. Actually, no, just collect some materials. Make some preparations. Someone else is going to do that. Uh, your son is going to follow on. And sometimes we can, we can trip ourselves up in our zeal, in our spiritual fervor, in our desires to serve the Lord, because we become focused on what my role is and what I would really like to do. The big vision has captivated us, and I'll get to do this. David was able to Adjust. He, he kept his spiritual fervor. He was captivated by that big vision. He was prepared to correct his own mistakes. And then he was able to adjust when God says, it's a little bit different from how you thought. Sometimes godly people can stumble over what God is doing because it's not happening in the way they imagined. Um, it doesn't happen with, with them in the role that they wanted. Sometimes we can be too narrowly focused on what we think serving God means. It must be preaching or it must be full-time ministry. It must be leading the thing. Actually, no, what's the unique position that each and every one of us God has placed us in? We're wise together as a people to, to pursue God for where he has placed us, not to strive after how he's... How, how we want things to be. It can be that scenario again where I want all the stars to align. I want all the planets to kind of revolve around me and, and then I'll be blessed. Then I'll put God first. That will be really great. Uh-uh. No. Lord, my, I am called to revolve around you. I'm called to worship you. I'm called to make you my, my center. And maybe there is slightly that kind of new term feel at the moment, isn't there? I know like January the 1st is a, the new year, sometimes September the 1st, or uh, the beginning of this kind of 
season can feel like that kind of new new year. Um, not suggesting a New Year's resolution, but for me personally, I've just been thinking, okay, how do I put God first? How, how should I do it now? What is the rhythm of my day? What's the pattern of the week? What are the things that God is speaking to me about? How can I put him first? How can I make sure that I don't drift back into some scenario where I'm expecting everything to revolve around me? And uh, I could tell you what I've decided to do, but some of you might think, oh, but I couldn't do that. Others of you might think, is that all? <laughs> Seems a bit simple. Your devotions. Um, so I'm not going to say. I just say, <laughs> what I'm going to say is, maybe now is the time to think, how am I walking with God? What are my devotions like? I mean, devotions is a funny word. It can sound so soft, can't it? It can sound so namby. But no, blessed is the Lord, blessed is the man, or blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who put him first. Doesn't have to be some epic strategy, just what makes sense? Am I putting him first? Am I waiting for all the jobs to get done, for all the boxes to get ticked, for all the blessing to flow my way, before I just humbly sit down and say, Lord, I want to put you first today. I want to to actually approach you, Lord. I want to come to you. I want to listen to your words. I want to worship. I want to pray. I want my eyes to be fixed on Jesus. I want to be receiving the help and the strength from the Holy Spirit. Because I know I can't do this by myself. I need you, Lord. So I'm coming to you. So I'm making some time for you because I love you I want to put you first I believe that blessing flows that way I don't want to wait for the perfect moment I don't want to wait for life to get totally sorted and simple it won't be sorted it's rarely going to be simple we can't wait for life to be absolutely beautiful before we think I'm putting the Lord first now all of that is what David David's devotion was founded on I'm going to have to be brief. This psalm is like a small window into things that are too wonderful and marvellous. I'm just giving you a few snapshots and headings, really, of a psalm I'd encourage you to, uh, to dig into and marvel even more. It begins with David saying, he swore an oath to the Lord. It moves on. As the people start to say, we heard it in Ephrathah, let us go to his dwelling place. Here is an example of David as a man determining to put the Lord first. Then he is followed by a faithful people. Blessing flows to other people. David's obedience, David's devotion led to a nation's obedience, a nation's devotion. David desired God and desired God's presence. Now we have a people desiring the Lord's presence, desiring God's glory. In verses 7 onwards, let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing 
for joy. The people catch hold of the vision that is so impacted David. Maybe many of them had had that already and they were just waiting for the opportunity now that the ark has been taken to Jerusalem. But we see here genuine, passionate desire for God and his glory. So of course the people are walking with God and they're heading up to Jerusalem and they see the city and they think, yes, we're here, we've made it. God's here and this is a delight for us. And they're pursuing righteousness and joy. You know, thank God for the people who've gone ahead of you. Thank God for the people who devoted themselves to God that we got caught up into. I thank the Lord for Glenn Walsh and Ruth Mayton and Ernest. I praise the Lord for the people who've gone ahead of me and, 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 and helped me to meet with God. And let's believe too then that it is worthwhile to put God first. Other people will be blessed. We don't know how, we don't know where, we don't know precisely when. But if you determine to put God first, this massive flow of blessing will come. Other people get caught up into it. Sixthly, we see in this devotion to God, we see David and the people encountering an awesome God. It's a message in itself, but take a look at the second half of this psalm. David swears an oath, and we might think, oh, should you do that really? That seems a bit bold. Then take a look at how God turns the table on David All David's desires, all David's plans, all David's hopes and dreams, and his devotion to the Lord gets met with a Lord, with God who says, ah, yeah, but the Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. You want to build a house for me, David. Look what I'm going to do for you. One of your own descendants I'll place on the throne. If your son keeps my covenant and the statues I teach them, then their sons shall sit on your throne forever and ever. What is going on? This psalm isn't just about David. This psalm points us to David's descendant. One day, that king who will reign forever on David's throne, the anointed one who is also mentioned in this Psalm, we step back from it and we go, this isn't just about David. This isn't just about what David was doing. This is about God and his eternal purposes, about Jesus and about what he would do. Every desire then is met. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I'll sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall ever sing for joy. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head shall be resplendent. God is doing a bigger thing. So let's devote ourselves to him, expecting that we too will encounter an awesome God. The awesome God in Ephesians 3.20 who's described as the one who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. This is what you want to do for me. But look, I can pick that up and I'm doing something in the world which is awesome. Let's be a people of faith, pursuing God because we're persuaded as well that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. David was running after God. But you know how sometimes a little child kind of runs and 
They're looking for, like, you know, running away from mum or dad. Mum and dad can just run around. They're faster and go, ha, I'm here. Throw them up in the air. And walking with God should have that kind of quality to it. That we're wanting to run. We're wanting to, we're wanting to move for him. We're, we're on a bit of an adventure. We're excited. And just God is massive. And says, here I am. And therefore, our daily devotion to him is not just dry drudgery. It has this heavenly hope. It has this spark of expectation. God can do anything. Yeah, what I've got to do is tiny. My unique place is quite small. It doesn't seem that much. But God. But God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So, commit yourself to God first. Put him first in everything. By the word of God... Allow him to captivate your imagination, be captivated by big vision. Let's be a people who are prepared to correct our mistakes rather than give up. Let's be a people who are able to adjust our expectations so we don't get too focused on me and my role. Let's be a people who are just getting carried up with following and pursuing him and expecting to encounter him in his awesome glory now and forever. Amen. Rock and roll. Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll worship God together.